right. Genesis chapter 3, beginning with verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Indeed, hath God said, You shall not eat from any tree of the garden? The woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the tree of the garden we may eat. But from the fruit of the tree, which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat from it or touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said to the woman, You surely shall not die. For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate. She gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. And we're going to stop at that point. We'll take up the rest of the chapter next week. I think we have enough to get through for one day there. But the last two weeks, we've been getting a glimpse of paradise, a glimpse of life as God intended it for mankind. We saw Adam and Eve placed in a beautiful garden, an abundance of supply for their physical needs. They had a meaningful relationship. They had fulfilling work to do. It was a place of delight, a place of joy, a place of pleasure. And yet, as we start chapter 3, there's a jarring note here. Something is changing. Something is happening as you move into chapter 3. And there are many unanswered questions as we enter into chapter 3. Why would God allow such evil to enter into the life of mankind and into his beautiful garden? How do we explain the presence of that evil? Atheists love to raise that question today. They uh, raise the question, well, is God the author of evil then? If he's all-powerful, why didn't he stop it? If he's love, either he can't stop it or he doesn't care. It's rather interesting that they use such an argument to defend their position because the question of evil is meaningless if there is no God. If there is no God, there's no good, there's no evil. And so it's a kind of a circular reasoning that, that they're going through there. And uh, you, you need to confront them on that issue. If, if, there is a, if there is a moral question there, then where does that come from? Who is God? And, and, and why are you using that as an argument against God if you don't even believe in, in God himself there? The fact is, we enter a world of mystery as we come into chapter 3. There's a lot of questions that we will wrestle with until die. A lot of questions that we will wait until eternity to find the answer for. Because God doesn't always stop to tell us why. There is evil out there. There is pain. There, there is heartache. And, and I think of uh, Job as he wrestled with that whole issue of suffering and you go through 41 chapters in the book of Job, and there's no answer to that question, why? I believe Job has that answer today, as he's home with the Lord in glory. But many of those questions await for us the, the time when we actually leave this earth and go home to be with Christ in glory. The fact is, in first, Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, he says, We walk by faith, not by sight. And there are times when we have to exercise that faith 
that we have to demonstrate that we believe that God is good, that God has a good plan for our lives, even when we don't understand the path, even when we don't understand some of the trials and and some of the pain that we may be going through. Do we really believe in the face of that evil that God is good, that God has our well-being in mind? When it boils down to chapter 3 here, I find that we face today the same issues that Adam and Eve faced in the garden. And so as we look at this chapter, we, we tend to look at it from the standpoint of Adam and Eve. But put yourself in their shoes for a few moments today. You're going to find that you're going to wrestle with the very same questions, the very same things that, that they wrestled with as well. We might begin today by looking at the tempter. Uh, he's introduced as crafty introduced as a serpent or a snake. How many of you love snakes? <laughs> How many of you despise them? They're not that bad, actually. Uh, the problem wasn't the snake. Uh, I, I, I realize a lot of you don't like them. I, I personally like to watch them, uh, and I've caught my share of them and so forth. But uh, the, the problem comes out of Revelation chapter 20, in verse uh, 2, it says, The dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil, and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. It wasn't the snake that was the cause of the problem. It was Satan. Satan came, energized that, that snake, and spoke through him. But it was Satan that brought the temptation into the Garden of Eden. And in it, we get a glimpse, I think, of the struggle between good and evil. If you go down to verse 15, it speaks of the fact that there is going to be enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed, and he will bruise you on the head. You shall bruise him on the heel there. Or he's going to bruise you on the heel. I got that backwards, didn't I? That's what I get for trying to quote it instead of read it. Uh, but uh, the, the battle is real. Satan is a powerful foe. And yet, even as we say that, I think it's important for us to realize that though he is a powerful foe, Jesus Christ exercises far more power than he does. In Colossians chapter 2, in verse 15, he says, When he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. He's speaking there of Jesus Christ, how his death on the cross and his resurrection won the victory over sin and Satan for us. He triumphed over him, publicly made a show of him, as he defeated the enemy there. But as we think of that, and we think of the tempter, we are involved in that very same battle today, aren't we? We have an enemy. We have a foe that we face. Jesus was aware of the battle when he was in the wilderness. Satan came, tempted him. He used the word of God to to defeat the enemy there. When when Peter came to Jesus and, and said, hey, you're not going to the cross and so forth. You remember what he said to Peter? Get thee behind me, Satan. He realized that Satan was there attempting to sidetrack him from the cross. And today, we are not immune from that battle. Ephesians chapter 6 speaks of the fact in verses 12 through 13 that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and so forth. And he warns us there, as we walk through this life, we need to put on the armor of God. We, we have to be equipped with the armor if we're going to stand against the powers of darkness. We are not immune to his attack today. 
It is not just for primitive societies. It is everyone that is alive today is under his domination or else under his attack. If you don't believe it, look at the recent events that took place when we had a Supreme Court nominee. Look at the number of witches that showed up in Washington, D.C. And, and elsewhere, putting curses upon anyone who would stand for righteousness and, and righteous principles there. That battle is very real in the land in which we live. Satan worship is alive. We have our hexes, our curses, our horoscopes, our Ouija boards, all tools of the enemy to deceive and to lead people astray there. And I think one of the difficult areas is today is Henry Potter and his, the books there. Harry. Harry. Oh. I, that's in my notes. <laughs> Uh, just yeah, Harry Potter. Uh, the the problem I find with those that particular approach is there's no moral distinctions given there between good and evil, and so a lot of young people are being led astray, led down the wrong path because they don't have that that moral guidance there. He comes as a cleverly disguised foe. In Second Corinthians eleven, it speaks of the fact. In verse 3, I'm afraid lest the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your mind should be led astray from the simplicity and the purity of devotion to Christ. It's a very real possibility for God's children to be led astray there by the enemy. He goes on in verses 13 through 15 to speak of false apostles, deceitful workers. He goes on to say it's not surprising in verse 15, if his servants disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, why? Because in verse 14, Satan disguises himself there as an angel of light. He comes to deceive. He comes to lead astray. And we need to be careful what we listen to, what we play around with today. The enemy is out to defeat us and to destroy us in, in our walk with the Lord. I remember a young man years ago when I was in, in seminary, he, a young man in our church there where I was serving as inter, interim pastor, uh, had gotten involved in drugs. As a matter of fact, he had the finances. Uh, he had an underground place that he had, uh, equipped it with lights. He was going to grow his own marijuana there and, and have quite a business selling it. Now, uh, wouldn't be a problem anymore in Oregon, but it was a problem then. And uh, he, he often spoke of how he got on drugs and, and what a beautiful experience it was. And then he said, one day I saw the other side. One day I had a bad trip, and I realized what I was playing around with. And to his credit, he was able to drop his plans, leave it all, and surrender to, to Jesus Christ there. But uh, it's nothing to play around with. Now, when I say that, I, I say that very carefully because I don't want us thinking that we can blame the devil for our problems. Uh, Adam and Eve couldn't. Uh, matter of fact, Adam couldn't even blame his wife for his problems. Men, do you ever try to do that? <laughs> I hope not. It, it, God doesn't let you get away with it if you, if you do try to do it there. But uh, James 1 says in verse 13, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am be, being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust there. And so I'm not advocating the devil made me do it philosophy here today. It was Adam and Eve's choice. 
And when you choose to, to sin, I, I don't want you blaming Satan for it. Uh, I don't want you blaming your parents for it. Uh, you, you can't blame society for it. It's, it's your choice. Uh, uh, the, the tempter came and encouraged them to make the, the wrong choice there today. That leads to the temptation. Now, as you look at what's going on here in chapter 3, it seems like such a small matter, doesn't it? Just a, a little piece of fruit? What, what can be wrong with eating a piece of fruit? What's involved in that act? Uh, let's take a little closer look at what was actually happening here. The first thing we find here is doubt. Satan raised the question in verse 1, or verse 2 there, uh, Verse 1, you shall not eat, did God say you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? Questioning God, questioning his character, questioning his word there. Now, compare that with chapter 2, verse 16 for a minute. God said in verse 16, from any tree of the garden you may freely eat. And so he's twisting God's word just a little bit and creating doubt upon it there. And notice Eve misses that point because uh, she not only attempts to quote what God said, it says, from the fruit of the tree we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God said, you shall not eat from it or touch it. No freely now. That missed that, that whole concept there. God had given them everything they needed for life. Every tree of the Garden of Eden was theirs. They could enjoy the fruit from it. They they, they, God had abundantly provided and blessed them, and yet she misses that point. And when Satan attempts to bring doubt into our minds, he does two things. He, first of all, minimizes the goodness of God. As God said, uh, what, what's he withholding from you there? So he, he minimizes the goodness of God. There's no freely there. Uh, they were blessed, and yet... They missed that thought. And then he maximizes the strictness of God. The emphasis is on God is withholding that one tree from you. What kind of a God would do that? Uh, And so uh, he's implying that God was withholding something good from them. And, you know, we face that same temptation, don't we? When things don't go our way, how many times do we begin to complain? about what God is doing in our lives. How many times do we get discouraged or disappointed with the Lord because he doesn't answer it our way? We begin to raise the same question. If God is love, why why does he allow that the unfairness of life to touch our, our lives today? We, we can fall into that same thinking of doubt as Satan was introducing to Adam and Eve here. The second part of the temptation is a denial in verse 4. In verse 4, he says, uh, You surely shall not die. Denying the word of God. God said it, but that's not true. It's a, a denial of the word of God. And once we begin to doubt the word of God, we open the door in our life to unbelief. We, we open our, our, the door to uh, not fully trusting the Lord. And Eve goes right along with that. Uh, He says, you shall not die. Uh, I can just imagine, perhaps he was even touching the fruit at that point. Remember, Eve added that phrase, you shall not eat it, you shall not touch it. God didn't say you couldn't touch it. 
God said you shouldn't eat it. And here this serpent perhaps is touching it and saying, look, I'm not dying. I'm okay. Uh, and, and you won't either. It is dangerous for us to add to the word of God. In Revelation chapter 22, he ends almost the, the, the word of God there with uh, the, these words. I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If any man adds to them, God shall add to him the plagues which are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the tree of life, from the holy city, which are written in this book. A very strong warning there that we are not to add, we are not to take away from what God has said. This is his word. We need to stand upon his word. We dare not explain it away. We dare not teach it as a myth. It is the word of God. We need to recognize now. Now, it's, I realize that we all have convictions in different areas. Some of them based on the word of God. Some of them are personal preference. Uh, We need to be careful that we don't take those convictions and try to enforce them on somebody else. If God has not revealed it in his word, we may have our personal convictions, but that that's not the word of God and don't make it on par with the word of God. I'll just give you an illustration. Uh, I very seldom preach without a suit and tie. I, I just feel that that is part of the way in which I can honor the Lord. I'm thankful that he's given me the privilege to be able to minister the word. I was reading this week the book of Exodus or in Exodus there with the uh, the robes that were made for Aaron and, and for his descendants there. God did that so that they would see a difference there and so forth. Uh, I, I still remember after spending 10 years in uh, missionary service amongst the Indian people in Canada, coming back to the States and for the first time in probably 10 years, putting on a suit and tie to, to worship because they didn't have suits and ties, and, and that was foreign to their culture. But uh, I thought everybody in the States wears a suit and tie to church. Uh, I, I was a little bit surprised when the song leader gets up in jeans and a short sleeve shirt, and so what's going on here? What kind of church is this? Uh, and then the Lord kind of spoke to me and said, you know what? It's not in my word, and it doesn't matter. And that's your conviction. You live your conviction. He doesn't take that conviction away because somebody else doesn't have it, but don't impose your conviction upon somebody else. You let God lead your brother in these areas of liberty as as he he wants to lead. And, And I came to the conclusion, you know, I'm just thankful that that song leader was there whether he had a suit and tie on or not it didn't make any difference he was there and, and uh, I, I wasn't the pastor at that point in time there so I didn't have to worry about it but uh, leading the, the service but uh, that that's a conviction that I uh, that I have that I will continue to have probably until the day I die but that's not a conviction I'm going to impose on you because that is between myself and the Lord, and you do what, what you want in that area. It, it's dangerous, as he found out, to add to the word of God. Just a simple little phrase, touch it, but uh, it led her into all kinds of, of trouble there. And that led to deception in verse 5. Notice the claim there. He says, you shall be as God. You shall be like God. You will know 
the difference between good and evil, and there was an element of truth in, in what he said. But we need to remember that while God knew evil, while God understood evil and, and moral goodness and so forth, there was nothing in God that would respond to that evil. Remember we read in James chapter 1 there that there was nothing there that, that responded to that evil. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15 speaks of the fact that he was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. That uh, Yes, he knew about evil, but uh, he, he was not tempted by it. And I believe we need to be careful in the day and age in which we live. There is a lot of evil out there today that we don't need to dig into. In Romans chapter 16, verse 19, he says, I want you to be wise in what is good and innocent in what is evil. We don't have to dig into all the perversity that is out there to know whether it's right or wrong or not. We need to know what is right, what God says for us today. Jeremiah chapter 4, verse 22, he said, My people are foolish. They know me not. They are stupid children. They have no understanding. They are shrewd to do evil, but to do good they do not know. Have you noticed that uh, people are shrewd to do evil today and yet they don't really know what is good and what, what is right there. Satan said, you're going to be like God. No, that wasn't the case. They were deceived. They, they were led down the, the wrong path there. They didn't need that knowledge of evil. And so that leads us to their sin today, verses 6 and 7. Leads to what we call the fall of mankind. Satan's tricks don't change. First John chapter 2 speaks of the fact that we're not to love the world, the things that are in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. It's the very same temptation that Adam and Eve faced in the garden there. Eve believed the lie. She took the fruit. She ate. She gave it to Adam, and he ate with her as well. And at that point in time, we like to put the blame on Eve because of, of what she did. God doesn't allow that. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, uh, do you got it up there for me? 2, ah, oh, there, that's the reason. Okay, 2 verse 15, uh, uh, 13, 14 there. It was Adam who was first created, then Eve. It was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being quite deceived fell into the transgression. So Eve was deceived. But notice what he says there. Uh, the woman... Uh, it was Adam. Adam wasn't deceived. He deliberately disobeyed. He, he deliberately chose to turn away from God at that point in time. And we can only speculate on, on why. We'll leave that between Adam and, and the Lord there. Uh, as we read in Second Corinthians chapter 11 there, Eve was deceived, but not Adam. And Part of the reason for that is back, if you go back to chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, when God gave the command, Eve wasn't there. Adam was. Eve wasn't created at that point. And so it was Adam's responsibility as head of the, the home, in a sense, to, to lead her and, and direct her and so forth. He deliberately chose to disobey. Romans chapter 5, verse 19 speaks of the fact that 
uh, through one's, one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. goes on to say, even through one, one man's obedience, many can be made righteous there. But it was through Adam's disobedience that we became sinners. Now, it was a simple act, just a piece of fruit. Why did God make such a case out of it? Well, four things here. First of all, in that moment, obedience turned to rebellion. They went from being obedient to God's command to rebelling against the command of God. How often do we see that in kids? How many of you spend a lot of time teaching your kids to say no? Did you ever notice how quickly and how easily they they picked that word up? I I was thinking of that this morning. I think we, we should have had a more difficult word to express that thought. And then maybe they wouldn't have said it quite as young and quite as easily there. But from the very early age, they learn very quickly that little word, no. And they use it in the sense of rebellion. Mom and dad says, I want you to pick up your toys. What do they say? No. I want you to eat your vegetables. Uh, I'd rather eat ice cream. That's that's one of the basic food groups. But uh, and I don't want, to, don't want to be too hard on the kids because isn't the same thing true in our own lives? Don't we say no very quickly when God speaks to us? I, I think of uh, simple little things. You, you, you ever see a, a sign that says wet paint, do not touch? What's the first thing you want to do? You want to touch it because nobody's going to tell me I can't touch it. I'm, I'm going to touch it. Or... Now, I'm going to go to meddling now. Uh, we're driving down the highway, and we see the sign, 45 miles an hour. The road is clear. There's nobody on the road. There's no cops around. Who are they to tell me that I can't do 60 miles an hour through a 45-mile zone? Uh, it, uh, that rebellion is in our hearts. Uh, I, I have, uh, I know an individual that... Uh, hardly ever wears a seatbelt. And one of the reasons is because it's the law. And they don't have the right to tell me that, to wear a seatbelt. I think how foolish. If he ever has an accident, he's, he's, he's going to realize why they, they told him that. But if we're not careful, we are rebels at heart. In James chapter 4, verse 17, it says, Therefore to him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, to him it is sin. And how many times do we know what God is saying? How many times do we know what the word of God is? And what do we do? We rationalize it. We, we make excuses. So it's just a little sin. We can get away with it. Jesus said in John 14, if you love me, keep my commandments. If, if we love him, we should seek to follow his will and his commandments for us. We make excuses, but I I like the example of Moses in Hebrews chapter 11. It said, Moses chose rather to suffer affliction with the children of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. What what a remarkable testimony that was to the life of, of Moses. He chose obedience over rebellion. Second thing that happened here is openness gave way to shame. They were open. Uh, we, we looked at that last week in the last verse of chapter 2, where it speaks of the fact they were both naked and were not ashamed. 
Contrast that with verse 7 here. Their eyes were open. They knew they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for, for themselves there. The, the openness, that fellowship, that union that they had was suddenly tarnished. It became a sense of shame to them. They become, became uneasy with themselves, with their self-image, and consequently it affected their relationship to one another. That was all part of taking a piece of fruit that God said don't eat and, and eating of it. That openness turned, gave way to shame there. And then responsibility turned to, to guilt. We'll see more of that next time when we move in, into chapter, or into verse 8 here. But you notice in verse 8, what did they do? They hid themselves from God. That they, they had realized that somehow they had crossed a moral line. And I believe every individual alive today realizes there are moral absolutes. They fight against it. They, they deny the reality of it. But to the very fact that agnostics wrestle with the question of good and evil indicates that they believe there are moral absolutes out there. And uh, they want to rebel against it. But every time we choose to sin, it damages our relationship, our fellowship with God himself, as it did with, with Adam and Eve there. Our responsibility turns to a sense of guilt. And then freedom becomes bondage or became bondage for them there. God had given them tremendous freedom within the Garden of Eden. They could eat freely of the trees. They, they had meaningful work to do. They had a, a beautiful relationship together. And yet when sin came, it led not to freedom. It led to bondage. Romans 6 speaks of the fact that uh, it, when we sin, we become a servant of that sin. Goes on to say the wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I mentioned earlier that the Attorney General of California back in 1984, a man that would not be considered politically correct today, got up on one occasion and said, if we would get back to the principle of one man, one woman for life, we would solve the AIDS crisis overnight. He had a valid point there. Uh, uh, that so-called free love, free sex, and so forth, led to all kinds of bondage in people's lives. The same is true of the drug culture. We're freed. We have all kinds of stores selling marijuana and so forth today. We are just beginning to realize the bondage that that is bringing into our society. It uh, was there all along, and there were different ones that spoke of that fact. I have some articles from back in the 70s in my files of, of what scientists thought about marijuana and, and what it did to the brain and so forth. Now we legalized it, and now we're finding out the consequences of, of, of those choices there. Sin always leads to bondage. We tend to, if we're not careful, categorize sin. We list the big five. Or the, or the Big Ten, or whatever you, you want. I, I remember growing up, the, the, the Big Five, you didn't drink, you didn't smoke, you didn't go to movies, you, you didn't uh, go with girls to do, and I missed one in there, and I don't remember which one it is anymore. Dance, there it is, you didn't dance. Uh, and yet, as I look at that, that list that was repeated over and over again when I was growing up, 
there are things that are a lot more serious than those, and yet we ignore them. We, we, we turn away from them. We need to realize that even a little sin like taking a piece of fruit, when God said no, was an affront to a holy God, because all sin is against him. It's not just against other people. It, it, it's against him, and it's against his holy nature and his character there. We tend to rationalize sin. We don't tell a lie. We just fib a little bit. Or we, we stretch the truth a little bit. God says sin is sin. If we're not telling the truth, we're doing just the, the opposite there. We are good at rationalizing our behavior if we're not careful. We forget that every sin is an affront. Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, he speaks of the fact that there's no temptation taken us, but that God is able to give us the power, the ability to withstand that temptation. He, he's there for us. And rather than trying to rationalize our behavior, sometimes we need to simply pray, Lord, I need your help. I need your forgiveness where I failed. I need your help to overcome that which is leading me down the the wrong path there. You know, the sad thing about chapter 3 of Genesis is they never talked to God first. They should have gone to God and asked, what what about this serpent? What what, what is he saying? Is the reality here? Is it true? Uh, God's not afraid of our doubts, but we need to bring those doubts to him. And, and get his direction and guidance there. And so as, as we look at this passage today, it's easy to condemn Adam and Eve for the choice that they made. But what about the choices that we're making every day? Is there times when we are doubting? Is there times when we are denying the reality of, of sin in our lives? Is there times when we're giving in to deception? If there is, we need to deal with that before the Lord. We need to ask his forgiveness and his cleansing. And praise the Lord, that forgiveness is there. He said if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful for that verse. Praise the Lord, there is forgiveness. There, there is cleansing. We can start afresh with, with the Lord. But if we're making excuses, we don't start afresh. We just continue the same course of action. So as Adam and Eve, sometimes it's good for us to stop and evaluate our lives. Now, God does that for them in the next few verses there. But uh, we need to take that time and examine our hearts and our lives to make sure that we are standing firm. Are, Are we even aware of the spiritual battle? And are we standing firm today to the glory of Jesus Christ? Or are we like those kids saying no. The Lord speaks, and if we're not careful, we say no. We need to recognize that God is a holy, righteous God. God has chosen to bless us in so many ways. I, I think we could go around the room this morning, and each one of us could come up with a different blessing that God has worked in our lives. We wouldn't have to repeat ourselves. We have been tremendously blessed of God. And yet, if we're not careful, we forget that. And we look at one area where we think God's not being fair. God's not answering as I think he should. And we begin to doubt his character and his love. Let's take a moment and examine our hearts before the Lord and let him
change and transform our lives if that's what's needed. Let's bow for prayer, shall we? Father, as we look at your holy word, we recognize that it wasn't just Adam and Eve that wrestles with these problems, but we do today as well. Give us the courage to admit that. Give us the faith to believe that if we confess our sin, you're faithful and just to forgive it and to cleanse us and to pick us up and put us back on our feet and say, get moving again. And we thank you for that. But Father, give us the wisdom to yield to you, to realize the enemy is out there to defeat us, to destroy us. You're out there to give us the victory and help us to walk with you this week, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing together, Great is thy faithfulness. Aren't you glad for that?